what I'd like to do is just give you a little review on the first half of the chapter, and then we'll pick up and, and get through as much as the Lord has us to go through tonight. And just by way of review, we saw in the beginning of Mark chapter 14, remember Mark is the gospel written to the Gentiles, where Matthew was written to the Jews, Mark's written to the Gentiles. And because of that, we're going to see some differences as we went through Matthew some time ago. Now, first thing we saw in Mark chapter 14 was three different reactions to Jesus Christ. We saw the reaction of the priests and the scribes. What did they want to do to Jesus? Who remembers? What did they want to do? It was two weeks ago. They want to kill him. The scribes and the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, those who studied the Old Testament, those who taught in the synagogue, those who made the sacrifices that all pointed to Jesus Christ, missed it completely. They didn't understand who he was, and they wanted to put him to death. Then we saw the reaction later on of Judas. And we know Judas' reaction is that he was willing to sell out his Savior for the price of a slave. And we're going to see him actually deny the Lord tonight. Then we saw the reaction in the middle of those two of Mary. Now, Mary was a woman who didn't have the acclaim that the priest did. She didn't have the robes to wear. People didn't think she was a wonderful, super religious woman. And she wasn't like Judas, one of the 12 that traveled with Jesus everywhere. But she was the only one that got it. She got it to the point that she worshipped the Lord with everything that she had. And she took the, as we know from a couple weeks ago, she took that alabaster flask full of perfume, and she took it, and it was worth a year's wages, and she broke it open. She poured it out on Jesus' feet. It was sweet aroma in the whole room. Then she took her hair, which represents your glory in the Old Testament. It, it talks about it being your glory. She removed, put, pulled her hair down, and washed Jesus' hair, feet with her hair. And again, she worshipped him. And, and you know what? People there said, what a waste that you would spend your most valuable possession. We could have sold it, ministered to people. And the Lord said, you know what? The poor you'll have with you always, but I, you, I will not be with you always. And so the reality was that we're supposed to give everything that we have to God. Worship and, and sacrifice and serving God must cost us something. Grace is free, but it's not cheap. Amen? I mean, God's grace cost him a great deal. And for us to truly follow him, there will be times when we make sacrifices. Then last week, we saw the preparation for the Passover. Passover was the, the feast that they had been recognizing for hundreds of years. And it was in remembrance from the deliverance from bondage out of Egypt. And I, like I talk about, most of you guys have seen the Ten Commandments, so you know what I'm talking about. Passover was the final one of the, of the plagues that came on Egypt. And what happened was that they didn't put the blood on the top and on the sides of the doorpost, that, a picture of the cross. If they didn't put the blood of the firstborn spotless lamb there, then the angel of death would go in and kill the firstborn. And again, that's a picture of what Jesus did for us, that because of his shed blood, it passed over. Now, they've been celebrating this feast for hundreds of years. And last week, we saw Jesus institute the Lord's Supper, where for the first time, they truly understood what all those elements represented. What the firstborn lamb represented. What the blood represented. What the bread represented. And he told them that the bread represented his body, which is broken for us. Jesus Christ died that you might have eternal life. If he doesn't die, you can't go to heaven. And you know what? The, the juice or the wine represents his shed blood upon the cross, and the firstborn lamb was pointing to Jesus. So he instituted the Lord's Supper, and then lastly, last week, we saw him predict Peter's denial. And Peter's response was, Lord, even if I have to die with you, I'll never deny you. And you know what? We're going to see that Peter's pride go before the fall. The Bible says pride go before the haughty spirit, destruction before a fall. And we're going to see that, that his pride and his actions are going to result in his own uh, denial of the Lord. Actually, we'll look at that next week. Now, tonight, here's what we're going to look at. We're going to look at the anguish of our Savior. How many of you know that the Lord had deep moments of anguish and, and pain, basically, both spiritually and physically? Because Jesus Christ is God. Amen? He is God. But as God, He's 100% man and He was 100% God. He was willing to leave the perfection of heaven to come to earth and He became 100% man. The Bible says in all ways, like as a man, He was tempted and yet without sin. He was 100% man. He hungered. He thirsted. Okay? He felt pain. He felt sleeplessness. He grew weary. He was tired. But at the same time, he was still 100% God. And in the midst of that, we're going to see tonight the great anguish that our Lord felt. And we're going to see why he felt anguish. First of all, we're going to see that he had anguish over the consequences of sin. Sin does two things. Here's what it does. Number one, it separates. Where does the term sin come from? Who knows? Sin is an archery term. It's where it came from. And what happens is, where's perfection on an on a archery target? Where is it? It's the bullseye. And any distance that you hit 
outside of the bullseye was, was called the sin distance. How far you missed the mark. So perfection is the bullseye, and if you land one millimeter away from the bullseye, is that perfection? No. Sin distance. What if you land 50 miles away from the bullseye? Is that perfection? The reality is, it's sin whether you miss it by a millimeter or you miss it by 50 miles. And that's why the Bible says that all of us are sinners. Some of us may think, well, I'm a better person than other people. I don't, I don't do as many bad things as others. But the reality is, you're still a sinner because the bullseye is Jesus Christ. Amen? And we have all sinned in comparison to Him. We've all missed the mark. So the first consequence of sin is separation. The second consequence of sin is death. The Bible says in Romans that the wages of sin is death. The reason that people die today is because Adam and Eve sinned in the garden. But prior to Adam and Eve's sin in the garden, there was no death. No animals died, no plants died, nothing died. And then when they sinned in the garden, everything started to die. When you were born, you started dying. That's what happened. And you started dying because of sin. We're also going to see the anguish of our Savior over the betrayal of one of his 12 followers, that being Judas. And then lastly, we'll see his anguish over his arrest and the desertion of all his disciples. When Jesus is arrested, they're all going to leave. These guys who've been walking with him for three years are going to bail out on our Savior. So let's begin in verse 32. And we're going to take a look at the Garden of Gethsemane. And we're going to see the Lord as he anguishes in his soul over what is to come. Jesus prepares for the suffering that is to come. Verse 32. Then they came to a place which was named Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. Gethsemane was a, on, on the Mount of Olives. Gethsemane means oil press. And it was a place that was filled with olive trees. And they would press that oil there. And this was on a, on a mountain that overlooked down onto Jerusalem. It was a place that they would travel by quite frequently. It was the same place where he cursed the fig tree. And as the Lord would go by and sit up on that place, you could look down and you could see the city of Jerusalem. And he would often go there to get away and spend time with the Father. And you know what? Jesus Christ is God, and yet he spent time with the Father. You know, a lot of times we wonder why we're struggling in our walk. Let me ask you a question. How much time are you spending with the Father? You know, if you're so busy doing the thing, you know, and you get in the mode, and hey, I'm guilty as anybody. You know, I'm working full-time, and I'm pastoring a church, and i got a wife and four kids. And, you know, after a while, you got so many things on your plate. And you know what? we got to make sure that we seek first the kingdom of God. And when we get our eyes off of Him, it's really easy to get distracted. And we need to get away. We need to have that time where we just go away and spend time with the Lord. Well, Jesus Christ, being God, being our example, would go away quite often and spend time with the Father. And He takes these guys with Him, and He knows what's coming. Because what did he just tell, what had he just done? They had just had the Passover service, the, the Last Supper. And he said to them, this is the last time I'm going to drink this with you. The next time I drink this with you, I'm going to drink this with you in heaven. He told them that somebody in this room is going to betray me. They all said, Lord, is it I? I mean, Judas had fooled them. They didn't know it was going to be Judas. Again, we could fool man, but you can't fool God. God knew Judas' heart. Just like some of you tonight, some of us tonight, we can put on the Christian face. We can come to church. For whatever the reason may be, but God knows our heart. Man looks on the outward appearance, God knows who we really are on the inside. And so he, he's grieving and his heart is, is, getting, is anguished because he knows what's coming. And they go up to the mountain and he says, sit here and wait. Now these are to the 11 remaining disciples, to his disciples. It's the 11 remaining. Judas had already, had already parted to betray him. And he's preparing again for both the physical suffering that was to come and the spiritual separation from the Father. And he gets away to pray. He says, sit here while I pray. And Jesus had prayed with them in John 17, which uh, this comes to John 18 in the, in the Gospel of John. And in John 17, the Lord had prayed with them. And now he says, I'm going to go and get away with the Father. And you know what? It is important, you guys, that we have corporate prayer. If you're married, you should be praying with your wife. If you have children, you should be praying with your children. If you've got close friends, you want to pray with them, people that can keep you accountable. And all those things are important, but you still need to have your own intimate one-on-one -on -one time with the Lord. And so that's what Jesus is doing. He tells him to stay. So he tells him to stay. But look what he does. Look at verse 33. And he took Peter, James, and John with him. And he began to be troubled and deeply distressed. Now, Peter, James, and John quite often are referred to as the inner circle. You know, Jesus had a, a fourfold ministry. He ministered to the crowd, to the 70, to the 12, and to the three. To the crowd, he spoke in parables to draw those who would want to know more about the kingdom. Within that crowd, he had the 70 disciples, those who followed him more closely. But within them, he had the 12 apostles. But within them, he had the three. Peter, James, and John were the ones that when he went up on the Mount of Transfiguration, who did he take with him? Peter, James, and John. 
When he went in to raise Jeru's daughter from the dead, who did he take in with him? Peter, James, and John. And when he left and ascended to the Father, who did he leave the ministry in the hands of? Peter, James, and John. He was discipling. He's a son of the living God, and yet he was making disciples, and God has called each one of us to do the same thing. It says he was troubled and deeply amazed. The Greek word there refers to a feeling of terrified amazement. In the face of the dreadful prospect of bearing the Father's full fury against sin, Jesus being 100% God and 100% man was, had anguish. Took upon him, he's going to take upon himself the sins of all mankind. And he knew that there would be some heavy-duty results when he did that. He knew. Now, you might say, wait a minute, he's God. You mean God, you know, he, he was dreading going to the cross? The answer is yes. And let me, tell you, let me tell you what. He was not looking forward to the physical anguish, but that, I believe, was not the part that caused him the greatest grief. What caused him the greatest grief was the thought of the fact that for a brief moment in time, he was going to be separated from the Father. For the first time ever and the only time ever, he was going to be separated from the Father. And you know what? There was anguish in his heart thinking about that, that the sins of all mankind would be placed upon him and there would be separation. And you know what? Jesus Christ is 100% God and he did it out of love for us. In this hour of greatest need, Jesus desired the company of these three men and he took these three men with him for fellowship. There, there would be further revelation with them that they might be able to share with him in his, in his time of, of uh, greatest anguish. And these men go with him. But these men desired position. These men, again, were prideful in the rejection of, of potential denial. Lord, we'll never deny you no matter what happens. We're going to find out if that's true in just a few verses. So verse 34. And he said to them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch. The anguish was so intense that it threatened to cause the death is death at that moment. Again, the anguish of being made sin for us. Jesus knew the vile malignancy of the sin of all mankind that was about to be placed upon him. And he knew what he was going to suffer. And first of all, what did I say he was going to suffer? First, he was going to suffer separation. Separation from Almighty God. Jesus is one with the Father. But he would endure separation from the Father who is offended by sin. How many of you know that God the Father cannot have sin in his presence? Light and darkness cannot coexist. Cannot happen. It is an impossibility. It is contrary to the nature of God. That's why God the Father didn't come to earth. That's why God the Son did. Jesus Christ is fully God, but God the Father could not have sin in His presence. So God the Father is ruling and reigning in heaven. And you know what? When we get to heaven, there will be no sin in heaven. But wait a minute. Pastor Dave, you told me a little while ago that we're all sinners. we got a problem. You're right. Because the Bible says that... that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, but yet there will be zero sins in heaven. So how in the world do I get there? Well, let me tell you how you get there. It's not by you being good. It's not by you coming to church. It's not by you reading the Bible. It's not even by you praying or singing praise songs. You know what? You can do nothing that will get you to heaven. But Jesus Christ did everything that would get you into heaven. Amen? He paid the entire price for you. When he dies on the cross, you're going to see this in a couple of weeks. He says, Tetalistai, which is, it is finished. And the price has been paid in full. When someone would go and redeem something, they would stamp it and say, Tetalistai. Paid in full. Done deal. Jesus Christ is going to pay the price. He knows that for him to be able to pay the price, that all the sins of all mankind, past, present, and future. Can you imagine, just, and I, I don't want to talk about, I'm not going to pick on you guys, but I can't even imagine just all of the sin in just my life. From the day I was born until the day I died, just the sin of my life. That's heavy. Multiply that by a few billion people. How much sin is that? And every bit of it was placed upon Jesus Christ. Do we understand why there was anguish in his heart? Do we understand why as he went to the cross, he wasn't skipping to go? He, he, knew, he knew he needed to, he desired to, it was out of his love for us that he was willing to, but it was going to be a heavy duty and torturous event. He's, God the Father is holy and cannot have sin in His presence, so Jesus Christ came to bridge the gap between man and God. You know what people, especially in Santa Cruz County, say there are many paths to God. And you know what? That's true. But only one leads to heaven. Amen? Because every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. 
The New Ager will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. The Buddhist will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. The Muslim will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Because Jesus Christ is Lord. Amen? Muhammad's not Lord. Buddha's not Lord. Hare Krishna's not Lord. Jesus Christ is Lord. You know what? You're not God either. Amen? And you never will be. Your aura can't be elevated enough. I don't care how much yoga you do and trying to get the white you know, serpent out of your spine like they do in this room five days a week. None of that's the answer. Jesus Christ is the only answer. And you know what, though? For him to be the answer, he had to, be, he had to first be sinless. He had to be sinless and perfect. And then he had to go and pay the price for you and I. Let me ask you a question. Has any other man lived that was sinless and perfect? The answer is no. So can there be any other sacrifice besides Jesus Christ? The answer is no. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and life, and nobody comes to the Father but by me. So if you're trying to get to heaven through good works, you can't be good enough. And if you're trying to get to heaven through any other God, through any other way, through any other ism, you're going to fall short. You need Jesus Christ. But the good news is that Jesus Christ wants you to come by him. Amen? And all you have to do is say, I want, yes, Lord. That's it. Lord, I repent. Lord, I need you as my Savior. And you know what? Every single one person who cries out, he will forgive. Jesus would endure our sin. And he would also endure the second consequence of sin. The second consequence of sin, along with separation, is death. Jesus Christ would take away the sting of death for all who trust in him. Do you know what? My dad has a saying, and I love it. Christians die well. Amen? You know what? To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. As Christians, when we close our eyes on earth and we die, we open them up in the presence of Almighty God. Amen? I've told my wife, you know, when I'm dead, just put me in a hefty bag and leave me on the curb because it ain't me anyway. Amen? I mean, don't worry about it. Don't grieve. Be, celebrate. It's all good. Because I am with the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and it doesn't get any better than that. You know, as a Christian, it's only going to get better. And if you don't know God, it's only going to get worse. Amen? And so well, we have nothing to fear if we know Jesus Christ. But he was going to taste death for us. He was going to experience separation for us that we might not have to be separated. And he was going to die that we, not, we might not have to face the sting of death. He was sorrowful as the hour was approaching. Would he would incur sin's judgment, separation, and death. The perfect sacrifice means that through him, we will never be separated from the Father. Man, I love that. Stay here and watch, he says. That sounds like a pretty simple plan. What do you think? Hey, guys, I'm going to go up and spend some time with the Father. You're my three main guys. You're Peter, James, and John. Remember, Mount of Transfiguration. You're the guy. Okay, I want you to stay here and watch. That seems pretty simple. Stay here, watch. Okay. Now, the reason they should be watching is because they are on the Mount of Olives, and down in Jerusalem, there was a huge troop of men, as many as 600, gathering torches and swords and lanterns and clubs. The priests were going to be coming, and also along with them, Roman soldiers. It says a detachment, which could be as many as 600 soldiers. And they were all going to be coming. Now, let me ask you a question. If you're up on a hill and it's after midnight, and you're looking down on a city, and six or seven or eight hundred people start coming up with torches and lanterns. Do you think you might have a clue they're coming? What do you think? All right. You, so he says, watch. I want you guys to watch. I want you to be ready. Now, they don't know what they're watching for. And you know what? As believers, sometimes we don't know what we're watching for necessarily. But the Bible tells us to be ready and to watch. Amen? So watch what these guys do. It's amazing to me because these guys do a lot more sleeping than they ever did praying anywhere in the Bible. It's amazing to me. And these are the apostles, not the B apostles, right? The apostles. And they're always sleeping, man. These guys, you know, get them up. Get them up. They need to go to Starbucks or something, but they need to wake up. Now, let's take a look at verse 35. It says, he went a little farther. Now, look at the Lord. He went a little farther and fell on the ground. The anguish was so heavy on our Lord that he fell on the ground. And as we consider the intense suffering of our Lord's soul and his sorrow due to man's sin and its consequences, it should impact us in our own thoughts towards sin. You know what? How can we take sin lightly when our Lord had such anguish over sin? When Jesus Christ is going up to pray to the Father and he falls to the ground in anguish and in torment over the, over the consequences of sin. And the fact that he was going to have all the sin of mankind placed upon himself. How can we take sin lightly as believers when we know that our Lord's heart was so incredibly impacted by it? You know, a lot of times it grieves me because, and I've been guilty of it myself. We'll, you know, we'll go, we'll go be entertained by the sins of the world. We'll go watch a movie. They'll be taking God's name in vain. And they'll be cussing. And there'll be nudity. And they'll be, you know, they'll be slaying God's people and blowing people up. And 
oh, well, you know, but, you know, there's a few swear words in there, but, hey, you know, it's no big deal. Wait a minute. Those are the very sins that Jesus was in anguish for and falling down on his face before the Father in pain and in torment because of them. That's the kind of, that's sin. Amen? And as Christians, look, I want to make it clear, though. It's not our sinlessness that saves us. It's not us doing a bunch of good deeds that makes God love us. But out of our love for him, shouldn't we hate sin? Amen? I had a t-shirt that used to say, big letters, love God, whoops, love God, hate sin. It's one of my favorite. I, I kind of grew out of it. I got, I ate too many cheeseburgers or something, got too small for me. But I used to wear that thing, and I love that because it's so direct. Love God, hate sin. And reality is, if we love God, we should hate sin. And if we love sin, then truly we do hate God. Because he is the one that paid the price for us. How can we take a light view of sin or attempt to justify it in our lives when we see the agonizing impact it had in the Lord Jesus Christ? Our sin should grieve us to the point of swift repentance. Sin should bring mourning, never laughter. How can we laugh over sin? But sometimes as Christians we do. Oh yeah, man, you remember what we were doing? Oh yeah, man, I used to go, you know. And we laugh about our sin. But yet our sin should grieve us. It should break our heart because it breaks the Lord's heart. Amen? Do you ever see Jesus laughing about sin? No. It broke his heart. It should break our hearts too. Now look what it says here. It says that he fell, and it says he prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. He prayed. It was in the imperfect tense, implying that he prayed repeatedly. Again, sin's agony is so intense, the separation and the death, that our Lord in this humanity, while still being God, praying, seeking another way. Let me ask you a question. Did Jesus Christ know that this is the only way? Of course he did. He's God. He knows everything. Amen? But yet, even though he knew, the anguish was so heavy and so intense that he cried out and said, Is there another way? Can there be another way? Separation from the Father. The sting of death. And yet Jesus Christ did it. Now let me just say this. As you're thinking about the torment that Christ went through, some people have asked me, Why do they call it Good Friday? They ought to call it Bad Friday. You know, because Jesus was killed. Let me tell you something. It's Good Friday because through Jesus' death on the cross, we can be born again. Amen? And do you know that Jesus went freely to the cross? And I love the fact that he did that out of his love for you guys. When you want to know how valuable you are, how do you determine the value of something? What somebody's willing to pay for it. What was paid for you? The Son of the living God suffered and died that you might have eternal life. How valuable are you? You're more valuable. The Bible says that you are his treasured possession. Jesus Christ treasures you. So he prayed if it was possible that the time of this excruciating bitter pain might pass him by. Look at the word there, hour. The time of his sacrificial death. The betrayal, the trial, the mocking, the scourging, the crucifixion. An hour that had been appointed before the foundation of the world. The Bible says that before time began, he saw Jesus Christ crucified. He was already, he'd already been seen crucified and risen from the dead before the beginning of time. Because God knows everything. Amen? And he knew it was going to have to happen. Verse 36. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. Now, this is an example to us that Jesus Christ is our example. And look what he says there, Abba, Father. Now, what does that mean? In Aramaic, that is a term of endearment, and the closest word to it today would be daddy. You know, how many of you guys know you have a heavenly daddy? Did you know that? You absolutely do. He loves you that way. He's your dad. I've told you many times, one of my favorite words in the English language is daddy. I love that word. I have four kids, and I've told you I love them so much, I can hardly stand them. And you know what? I love when they call me daddy. When my daughter first, one of her first words, it might have been her first word, I can't remember. But when she said daddy, I was done. That was it. I went to car keys, house, what do you want? I give you everything, you know. I was done. Daddy. You know, she's still daddy's baby girl, and she will be forever. And you know what? What's neat is the love and the intimacy that I have as an earthly daddy, and I'm imperfect, and I love my daughter, and I love having my kids up in my lap. Even now, even now as my kid, my daughter's a teenager, and I still love when she comes and sits in my lap in the recliner because I love being near my children. And you know what? I'm an imperfect dad. Think how much the Lord desires that you be near to him. Amen? He's right there just waiting for you to draw near to him. He loves you. He's not a God with a you know, lightning bolt up in the sky waiting to smoke you. He's a God who's desiring that you would come unto him because he loves you so very, very much. Now, he says here, all things are possible. Jesus knew it was possible in the scope of God's power and omniscience to provide even an alternate plan if he wanted to. But the reality is there was no other sacrifice other than him. He's the only one that could pay the price because he's the only one that's without sin. 
nobody else could. It says here, look what it says in verse 36. Take this cup away from me. Whenever you see the word cup in the Bible, especially later you see cups and bowls in the book of Revelation, it represents judgment. And he's saying, take this cup, take this judgment away from me. Now, what's incredible is that Jesus Christ was going to face the judgment for all mankind, and he's the only one who deserved not to be judged. Amen? Everybody else deserves to be judged. And yet, Jesus Christ was going to take our judgment upon himself out of his love for us. Don't we serve an awesome God? Amen? Shouldn't we just, man, I mean, I can't tell him enough that I love him. You know, and so often we get distracted by the things of the world. And, and Jesus knew his death on the cross was not due to an unfair, cruel destiny, but the righteous judgment of a holy God. God pouring out his judgment upon his own son. Man, I have three sons. If, if I had to put one of my sons to death for you guys to go to heaven, you'd be in big trouble. Because I don't think I'd do it. I mean, I love you guys, but not quite that much. You know, I'm an imperfect man. I'd be like, oh, you guys have to find another way because go get someone else's son. It ain't happening over here. I mean, but look, think about how much God loves us that he was willing to let his son die, and he knows every wicked, vile thing we'd ever do. Do you know he let his son die for Osama bin Laden? Do you know that? Adolf Hitler. Jesus died for them all. If they would accept him as Lord and Savior, he died for them all. He loves them. That's incredible to me. You know, I, maybe my son could, you know, if may, I don't think I could do it even then, but maybe, you know, for someone else in my family who I love very much, or maybe they said all my other family members in exchange, people I care for, but, but my son for Osama bin Laden, no way. No, no I, I don't, even, don't even bring that, no. That's not happening. We're not discussing that. No way. But yet Jesus did that. Why? The Father did that. He let his son die out of love for you. And I love what Jesus said. He's our perfect example. Not what I will, but what you will. And you know what? That needs to be our heart. Not looking for my will, but looking for the will of the Father. Verse 37. Then he came and found them. What were the apostles doing? The apostles. What were they doing? Sleeping. Now, when he left, he said, take a nap. No, he didn't. He said, watch. Right? Stay here and watch. He comes back. They're napping. Now, he had just told me, just had the Passover. He just told me at the Lord's Supper, the next time I drink this with you, he said, I'm going to be betrayed. I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to, they're going to come and take me. Could you guys stay here and keep an eye out? He comes back. They're, they're napping. You know what? I know that, that, that the Lord knew they were going to be napping because he's God, right? But it still breaks his heart when he comes down and sees those that should be watching and should be praying and should be seeking after him, napping. You know the sad part? Because that's the, that's the state of most of the church right now. It's napping. I'm an indictment on all of us, not just, but we're napping. We're so concerned with our car and our job and our house and our stuff and you know, who won the football game and all that stuff's fine, but what about Jesus? Amen? What about my friend? What about the people I work with that don't know God? What about my own prayer life? How much time am I spending in the Word? You know, I watch 40 hours of TV a week and 15 minutes in the Word of God. What's wrong? We're asleep. Time for the church to wake up, amen? Time to snap out of it and say, well, he said watch and pray. Let's be watching, amen? Let's be praying. Let's be ready. While the Lord is agonizing in prayer over sin and its effects on mankind, his inner circle is napping. Jesus calls Peter by his old name. Look what it says there. He says, he came down and found them sleeping. He said to, him, he said to Peter, Simon. Didn't he change his name from Simon? He changed his name to Peter. Peter means Petros. Petros means small rock. The chip off the old block, right? He said, I am Petra. Jesus speaking of himself. I am the, the cornerstone. I am the big rock. And you are Petros, a, a chip off the old block, made out of the same stuff. And you're a small rock. And now he comes back. He didn't say chip off the old block. He says, Simon, you're napping. What are you doing? Simon, you're going to deny me. Peter, you're going to deny me. He says, could you not watch one hour? So they, went, they, they napped after only an hour. This wasn't like he asked them to stay awake for 14 days. He didn't, an hour later, he comes back and they're napping. I've, I've dealt with that. Sometimes I teach for almost an hour and I see people napping, so I guess that's, <laughs> that happens, right? Especially when you speak at Calvary San Jose, you've got a couple thousand people. There's always somebody napping. It's just, a, it's just the way it is. And you get the guys put on, leaning on their, you know, their 
you know, but the sad part is when their arms slip and they do one of these, but people are napping. They don't think you can see them. It's okay. You know, I'm just glad they're there. So he comes back after an hour and they're napping. But uh, pride, pride is what Peter began with when he said, I'll never deny you. And now after pride, he's got prayerlessness. Can you pray when you're sleeping? Some of you might try, but you can't. And if you sleep on your Bible, that doesn't work either, you know. You know, put your Bible on. You know, you're not going to, it's not osmosis. It doesn't like go into your head. Or, it's not going to work. You need to, you know, read the book. Don't wait for the movie, right? You got to crack that thing open and look at it. He's sleeping. He's not praying. He's filled with pride. Guess where Peter's headed? Not going to be good. It's going to be no bueno. So pride goes before destruction, the Holy Spirit for a fall. May we be watching. For Christ's return and praying for divine appointments to be used by him. Verse 38. He said, watch and pray. It's a second time. Lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. If we're not watching and we're not praying, we are going to fall into temptation. That's just an absolute fact. Amen? The Bible says when temptation comes, God gives us a way of escape. But you're never going to see it if you're not spending time in God's presence. If you're not praying, you're not in the word, and you're not watching for his soon return, and you don't think about the fact that he might be coming back, Hey, you're going to fall into temptation. And he says to him, watch and pray or you're going to fall. And Peter, trusting in the strength of his flesh, is going to deny Christ three times. Look what it says here. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. It's only when our eyes are on Jesus Christ and the things above, and we're praying in desperation and total dependence on God, that we may walk in the fullness of the Holy Spirit and deny the lust of the flesh. Peter, after Pentecost, was an awesome man of God. But right here, we're going to see as he walks in his flesh, he blows it. Verse 39. Again, he went away and prayed and spoke the same words. In return, he found them asleep again. He just went and he prayed some more. Okay, guys, look. Watch and pray. I want you to watch and pray. Okay, it's only been an hour. You know, hey, Simon, wake up. Now watch and pray. He goes back and comes back. They're out again. He's in the inner circle. He's in anguish over the sin of mankind and the fact he's about to go to the cross and all the apostles are napping. Sad. They're sleeping again. For their eyes were heavy and they did not know what to answer him. You ever had anybody try to wake you up and you have no clue what you're saying or what to do? Did I take... Yeah, you know, all right? I wake up my kids sometimes. They don't know what day it is. I don't know what room they're in, you know. And, you know, the Lord comes and wakes them up. Didn't I tell you to watch and pray? If you're going through a time of difficulty and you're trusting in your own intellect or resources to bail you out, it'll never work. If things are going great and it's caused you to be complacent in your walk with God, it's time to return to a place of desperation and total dependence upon God. That we, we may walk in the fullness of the Holy Spirit and be used by God to make an impact on a lost and dying world. If you're not spending time in God's presence, you will not be a reflection of Him. Why is the moon shine so bright? Because it's a reflection of the sun. Amen? You remove the sun, the moon doesn't shine. And if you remove that sun from your life, the S-O-N, you're not going to shine either. Amen? You need to spend time in his presence. So he comes back and they're asleep again. They did not know what to answer him. Verse 41. Then he came a third time. What do you think they might be doing this time? And said to them, Are you still sleeping? The Lord comes back a third time. I remember when I was a kid, my dad used to come into the room, one of his favorite statements, my sister's in her, I think. He used to say, it's time to get up. Time. Right? Like, and if you didn't get up, he'd come back in. Time to get up. Man, it got louder and he'd shake you. And, and you know what? The Lord has told him, wake up. And now he comes back and you guys are still asleep. You're missing it. Are you still sleeping? And look what he says. It is enough. Time is up. These guys remained indifferent to the needs of, the, of Jesus Christ. They're more concerned about their physical flesh and their own needs to take a nap than they are worried about Jesus Christ and what he's about to go through. And same thing happens in our life. We get so consumed with our physical needs and the desires of our flesh, we have no clue what the Lord wants from us. We have no clue how the Lord might want to use us because we're all consumed because it's all about me. I was a youth pastor for a lot of years, and that was a statement I used to say to kids, oh, it's all about me, Right? Kids say, well, I'm going I'm to sit in the... I'm gonna, well, it's all about you, isn't it, right? I mean, that's what the Bible says, right? It's all about you. No, it's all about Him. Amen? And what happens is we get our eyes off of, off of Him, we get our eyes on ourselves, and we become complacent. So how many times did He come and find them napping and rebuke them? How many times is Peter getting ready to deny Him? It's not by coincidence. 
God's preparing him. He said, you're going to deny me three times. Oh, no, I'll, I'll die with you, Lord. Oh, okay. Not going to happen. Who do you think's right, Jesus or Peter? Oh, uh, yeah. Who's right, the Lord or you? Right? I mean, sometimes we try to think, well, you know, Lord, you, you know, you're not quite living. You know, it's America. It's two, year 2002. You, you know, when you wrote the Bible, you didn't, you didn't quite anticipate some of the things would be going on now. You ever heard that before? I hear that in counseling all the time. I hear people say to me, well, you know, the Bible, that was written 2000. Yeah, you're right. Almighty God created the universe. Couldn't have possibly anticipated what's going on in your life. Right? I mean, come on. But we, that's what happens. We start saying, well, Lord, I'm not, I'll never do it. Oh, Lord, I, I, no, you don't understand. You, well, that might be somebody else, but not me. Well, that was Peter, and we'll find out it didn't work out too well. So just hours after Passover feast, the Last Supper, God had revealed the true meaning behind it, yet they're asleep at the switch. And he says to them, it's enough. Time to get up. Look what he says. The hour has come. Behold, the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Guess who's been walking up the hill? There's been lanterns and lights. These guys have been marching for, you know, for a long distance, and these guys are napping and have no clue that they're coming. All these torches and lamps, clubs, right? They're coming up the, they're coming up the mountain. These guys, they're out. They have no idea. And you know what? It's a picture of those of us who are Christians who are asleep and realizing that Jesus Christ could come back any time. Amen? There are going to be so many caught napping when Jesus Christ comes back. They're going to be so worried about the things they're doing. He's going to come back and, whoa, wait a minute. I had no idea. We're in rapture season, you guys. We need to be ready. It is enough, he said. Time's up. Jesus is coming back soon. May we not be found napping. He said, the hour has come. Verse 42. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. Jesus prayed that the hour might pass from him, but now the hour has arrived. The God-ordained time from before the foundation of the earth that Jesus Christ would suffer. And it says here, look what he says. Rise, let us be going. My betrayer is at hand. In verse 41, he referred to himself as the Son of Man. Son of Man, again, he's 100% God, but he's 100% man. And it's in his humanity that he would go to the cross and feel the suffering of all the sins of mankind. Into the hands of sinners. Who are these sinners that are capturing Jesus? Who are these guys? A lot of people like to blame the crucifixion on particular groups of people. A lot of these... uh, Groups who can, you know, who are anti-Semitic. I went to Russia and a bunch of neo-Nazis are there, and they're ripping the Jews. Well, the Jews crucified Jesus. Oh, really? That's interesting. No, you did. You did. Are you a sinner? Oh, yes, you are. And Jesus went for the sins of all mankind. Amen. But do you know who's in this group? The hands of sinners. He's talking about here. There were some. Jew- there were some of the the priests from the from the Jews. But guess what else? There's a detachment of Roman soldiers. Romans, last time I checked, were Gentiles. Amen? So it was Jews and it was Gentiles who came and grabbed Jesus Christ. A representation that it was the, all of mankind that put him on the cross, not one group of people. Amen? So the, all those people came. The Roman guard, those in positions of authority, those with military might, those feared by men, sinners. The self-righteous priests, scribes, elders, The world saw them as righteous. They wore robes. They prayed in the temple. They thought themselves as righteous. Jesus refers to them as sinners. What about Judas? Walked with Jesus for three years. Identified with Jesus Christ. Jesus washed his feet. What did Jesus say? Group of what? Sinners. I'm going to be betrayed into the hands of sinners. All of sin. We're all sinners in need of a Savior. So he says, let us be going. The hour had come. Verse 43. And immediately, while he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, with a great multitude with swords and clubs, came, and came from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. Now his betrayer had given them a signal, saying, Whoever I kiss, he is the one. Seize him and lead him away safely. Where does he think he's ta- they're going to take him? Judas is referred to as one of the twelve. You know, not Judas the betrayer. Not Judas the, the backstabber. Not Judas the hypocrite, Judas one of the twelve. Why would he refer to him that way? Because think how awesome it is that one of the twelve would betray Jesus Christ. What had Judas seen in his life? He had spent nearly three years walking with Jesus. He had seen him heal the leper, the paralytic, the blind man, the deaf, the woman with the issue of blood, the demon-possessed man, the man with the withered hand, the epileptic boy, the widow's son, the ten lepers, and the nobleman's son, amongst many others. 
He was there when he fed the 5,000. He was there when he fed the 4,000, when he calmed the storm, when he walked on the water, and when he raised Lazarus from the dead. He was there and heard him teach to the multitudes, heard him teach in the temple, rendering the Pharisees and the scribes totally speechless. And intimately, when he taught to the apostles. Judas had prophesied in his name, had enough confidence from the other 11 that they didn't even know that he was going to be the one that would betray Jesus Christ. Jesus had sat down in front of Judas and washed his feet like a servant would. One of the 12, betraying Jesus Christ for the price of a slave. You know, it's scary that there are people that can actually taste the goodness of God and yet deny Him. It's scary to me that there are people that can have a time where they're making a commitment to the Lord, and then before you know it, they've walked away from Him completely. You know what? May that be none of us in this room. You know what? This fall reminds me of another one. There's someone else who tasted the goodness of God, who was in His presence, who dwelt with Him, who was the angel of worship in heaven, and He fell. Who's that? Satan. Judas is the type of Satan. And did you know what did Jesus say when Judas left? It says Satan entered him. You know what? There are a lot of people that Satan wants to enter. Now, let me tell you right now, as a Christian, he can't enter you. Greater is he that is in me than he is in the world. Amen? Demons can't touch a child of the king. You're, you're born again. But you know what? It grieves me when I, I walk down the street and I see some of the kids in Santa Cruz County. And I see some of the things that are going on in people's lives. It's a very demonic place. So they weren't looking, he wasn't looking for a savior. What was Judas looking for? I'm going to finish up here in a minute. He wasn't looking for a savior. You know what he was looking for? He was looking for a king. He wanted Jesus to come and overthrow Rome and put him in a high place of position. He was going to be the treasurer. I'm going to be in charge of all the money in Rome. It's going to be sweet. What do you mean you're not going to, what do you mean you're not going to rule and reign over the Romans? Oh, well, I've got to get some money out of this deal somehow. And he goes and he turns, he betrays Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. This great multitude with swords and with clubs, we know those are Jews because the Jews could not have swords. The, those who were in the, in, the, in the guard of the priest could not have swords. They could only have clubs. So the Jews were there and the Gentiles were there. And then he says he would signal him, he would signal by a kiss. Now this is interesting because, let me tell you why. A sign of homage in Middle Eastern culture was a kiss. And there were four places. They would kiss them on the hem of the garment. They could kiss them on the palm of the hand, on the palm of the hand, on the back of the hand, on their feet. Or if they were very, very close and had a really tight-knit relationship, they would come up and give them a hug and kiss them on the cheek. Where did Judas kiss the Lord? On the cheek. He came up in the ultimate act of hypocrisy and pretended like he was as intimate as he could be with our Lord and Savior, and he kissed him on the cheek. And you know what? He may have fooled some of the people around him, but you can't fool the Lord. Amen? You can pretend to have an intimate relationship with God, but God knows for sure if you know him or you just know about him. Amen? I pray that everybody in this room knows him. I pray you would not walk out of here just knowing about him. Amen? He loves you. He went through the anguish and the pain because he loves you so very much. And Judas chose to embrace and kiss him. Then he called him rabbi. That, ra that word rabbi means master. A title of esteem and honor, honor, the ultimate hypocrisy, pretending to love the Lord while betraying Him for physical gain. We see that in some churches today. Verse 46. As soon as He came, He went up and said, Rabbi, Rabbi, and kissed Him. Then they laid ha their hands on Him and took Him. The word there where they laid their hands on Him is from the, and from the other gospel accounts, we see that this happens. I want to say this too. Who arrested whom? And I'm going to wrap this up in a minute, but let, let me tell you who arrested whom. When they showed up, according to the gospel of John, they said, Jesus said, who are you looking for? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And what did he say? I am. And what happened to all the people? They fell straight backwards. Like that, on the ground. Now they came to arrest Jesus. They got a bunch of clubs and swords. And they got torches in their hand. And they said, we're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. He said, I am he. And they went all over the ground. Now you think that might be enough to go, wait a minute. I don't think we want to arrest this guy. Right? I am, all he did was say his name. And you know it's the same name from the burning bush. Remember in the burning bush when Moses went and he said, go and free my people? And he said, what shall I tell him God's name is? Your name is God? Your God, what's your name? And he said, I am. I am that I am. Amen? And when they asked Jesus, are you? He said, I am. He said, that's who I am. I'm God. And guess what happened? They all fell over. Now the next thing that happens after they all fall over, they all get up. Okay, let's arrest the guy, right? I mean, he's shaking it off, you know, put, you know, getting their torches lit again. They're out, out in the dust, right? Okay, all right, all right, everybody, okay, all right. Which one is he? That's the guy. Okay, let's arrest him. Now, this is amazing to me because here comes part two. 
So they laid violent hands on the Lord to take him away. But look what happens. Verse 47. And one of those who stood by drew his sword. And we know later from, this, from other texts, this is Peter. Peter remembering. I said, I wouldn't deny him. I'm not denying him. Peter pulls his sword out, right? And look what he does. I think he's aiming for the guy's head, but he's a fisherman and he can't sing, swing a sword very well. So he goes to swing the sword to take the guy's head off and he, turn, and he takes, gets his ear. His ear comes off. Boom, the ear's on the ground. Now what's amazing to me is he lops his ear off and then we know from the other text in Luke that Jesus reaches over and puts his ear back on. I don't think I'd be arresting that guy. How about you? I mean, he says, I am. And then you all get up, dust off. Guy chops his ear off. Well, let me put that back on there. Now, the guy who was ear he cut off, he was like the, the right-hand man for the chief priest. The chief priest, Caiaphas, was not there. And the chief priest sent Malchus, is the man's name we know from Luke. He sent Malchus to report on what Judas had done and to find out if they captured Jesus. And he was supposed to come back and bring news. Now, do you think when Malchus came back to Caiaphas, he might have thrown a little bit in there about his ear getting lopped off. And Jesus putting it back on him again. Right? I mean, here's another chance to repent for Caiaphas. Oh, by the way, so how did it go? Oh, yeah, we got Jesus. He's uh, you know, they're getting ready to take him into the praetorium. For, but while I was there, this guy lopped my ear off and Jesus put it back on. What? I mean, you think it would be, oh, wait a minute. Maybe we ought to think this. He said, I am. We all went, fell on the ground. I mean, you think, and again, what happens is people have opportunity after opportunity to know God. And they just keep on, well, no, I don't care. I'm going to keep doing what I want to do. i got my plan. And the Lord reaches out to each one of us over and over and over and over again. And we reject Him over and over and over again. So, so for the moment anyway, Peter's trying to be a man of his word. I won't deny you, Lord. Jesus' response to Peter was, we see in Matthew, in Matthew 26, but Jesus said to him, Put your sword in its place. For all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Or do you not think that I cannot now pray to my Father and He will provide with, for me more than 12 legions of angels? You know, it says in the Bible in 2 Kings 19.35 that one angel killed 185,000 Assyrians. What do you think 12 legions of angels might be able to accomplish? You think those 600 men might have been in trouble? You know, Jesus could have just said, you're dust. They'd all been dust. But He could have called the angels down. And the angels could have just smoked them all. But he didn't do it because why? Nobody put Jesus on the cross. He went there of his own free will. Amen? Everybody else was crucified. That hand was held out there. People were holding it. And I, there's not a doubt in my mind Jesus put his hand out there. Why? Because he did it freely out of his love for us. Everybody else who went to the cross deserved to be there. Jesus was the only one who did not deserve to be there. We deserved to be there. Amen? You and I deserve to be on that cross dying. But out of His love for us, He died in our place. That's our Lord. That's our Savior. At Christmas time, may we not get so caught up in the gifts and so caught up in all the other stuff and the Christmas trees and, and all that stuff's fine. I love Christmas. But you know what? It's Jesus' birthday. Can you imagine if they had a birthday party for you and they invited everybody in Santa Cruz County? They held down the boardwalk, and everybody was having a birthday party for you, and they're, you know, and they're just having this big thing, and they're singing carols, and, and, and they're, they're exchanging gifts with each other. Well, isn't it my birthday? They're giving each other gifts. They're singing songs. They're going in debt up to their eyeballs to give each other gifts. They're, they're decorating stuff, and they're talking about the big fat guy, some big fat guy. Wait, it's my birthday. What, what's the big fat guy with the red suit? What's he got to do with anything? Santa Claus. What about it's my birthday? When I grew up, we said we had happy birthday Jesus parties at my house. I want to encourage you, if you got kids, sing happy birthday to Jesus on Christmas morning, because that's what it's all about. Amen? It's His birthday. And we get so, you know, it's Rudolph's red-nosed reindeer. And... Red-nosed reindeer? It's Jesus' birthday. Amen? Let's keep our eyes where they need to be. Did Rudolph die on the cross? I'm just wondering. I don't think so. Santa Claus? No, it's Jesus. Let's finish up. And, the, and then Jesus answered and said, Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to take me? I was daily with you in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me. But the scripture must be fulfilled. He says, Why do you come out here and capture me like a robber? I was down every single day in the temple, and you never laid a hand on me. You know why? Because these guys were cowards. They wouldn't dare touch Jesus Christ in the light of day. Because they knew that people would revolt against them. 
said it went out to catch him by night. It went out to do it in secret. You notice the number of people that come to Jesus by night? You know, John chapter 3, when did Nicodemus come to Jesus Christ? The original Nick at night, right? But he came by night. That's not mine. I heard on the radio. But they come to Jesus by night because they're afraid. They're afraid of what other men might think. You know what? A lot of times as Christians, we want to be Christians in the cover of darkness. We want to be Christians in our own home when no one else is looking. You know, we want to be Christians when it's cool to be a Christian when I'm around other believers. But I don't want to be a Christian in the light of day when everybody else is looking at me. I don't want to be a Christian when my neighbors are looking or when the people at work are looking. And let me just dial it down. I, you know, let me, just, let me just blend in. These guys didn't want to arrest Jesus in the light of day. They did it in night. And look what it says in verse 50. Verse, worship team, you come on back up. It says, and they all forsook him and fled. Can you imagine? Here's Jesus Christ about to go through the most torturous moment. And look what happens. All of those who were closest to him forsook him. The prayerless disciples found no comfort in Jesus' reference to Scripture. What did he just say in the previous verse? But this is being done that Scripture must be fulfilled. Verse 49. He said, everything that's happening is according to the Word of God. This is from God. This is all part of God's plan that you might have salvation. And instead of finding comfort in Scripture, what did they do? As soon as he was arrested and they realized he wasn't going to fight back, they all bailed. And you know what? It's a lot easier to fight for God than it is to die for him. Peter was willing to fight, but he wasn't willing to die. A lot of us are willing to fight, but we're not willing to die. We're willing to fight for our rights. We're willing to fight for our desires, but we're not willing to die and esteem others greater than ourselves. And the faith, their faith collapsed. They realized that he would not resist, and they fled. And it says in Zechariah 13, 7, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. They continued with him in the lesser trials, but when the biggest trial came along, they couldn't take it, and they all ran. You know what? We'll find out. You find out how strong your faith really is as the trials heat up. You know, it's easy to be a Christian when there's a little blip in the road. Flat tire in the car, okay, yeah, that's no big deal. But what happens when you find out you're diagnosed with cancer? What happens when there's a death in the family? What happens when things get really heavy? We can run to God or we can run from Him. May we run to God. May we not flee when things get difficult. Where else are we going to go? Amen? Where am I going to go if I run from God? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and we praise you, Lord, that with all the anguish and all the torment that was involved, that you went to the cross for us. That you're willing to suffer so that we would not have to. That you're willing to be separated from the Father so that we would not have to. That you are willing to take on the death, the pain of physical death, Lord, and, then the, and the picture of what death could do to each man and woman in this room that we would not have to taste the true sting of death. Lord, you did it all out of your love for us. And I pray, Lord, especially this Christmas season, that, Lord, that we would truly exalt and lift up your name, and that we would never let the anguish that you went through become common. But, Lord, that we would serve you with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, that we would watch, that we would not sleep. Lord, that we would be looking unto you, the author and finisher of our faith. Lord, we love you. We praise you, Lord. You're such an awesome God. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Let's worship.